Good morning, all. So it's actually quite interesting to be asked to preach because uh, while Liz and Ryan and I have only been here for three years, most of it's been during the pandemic, so I actually haven't gotten a chance to meet a lot of people. I know a lot of people, but uh, there are some of you that I've only seen through, uh, through our virtual services, some of whom I've heard, and so uh, it is a, an interesting privilege to preach before you today. Before I get started, let's take a moment and gather ourselves. Holy God, we come before you because you are the one who creates clean hearts. You are the one who blots out transgressions. You are the one who welcomes us as who we are, your beloved children. And we are indeed grateful for that. Open our hearts this morning and work through us so that we can be your hands and your feet and your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I, uh, as I was huffing and puffing, I play soccer every Sunday morning. Uh, this morning I was playing, uh, and it's quite warm out there if you've noticed. And I, was hu- I was huffing and puffing around, and I was thinking about what, what does forgiveness really look like? Right? What, it, what, what, am I, what am I even thinking about here? And what always comes to my mind when I think of forgiveness is when... Uh, this is maybe eight years ago in the pediatric ICU. I had a mom who, uh, she, she was teary with the doctor inside a room. And I walked in after the doctor walked out and I said, did you hear something bad? You seem really upset. And she was certain that I knew that there was bad news about her child and it turned out she was not talking about her child to the doctor. She was talking about something else entirely. And for the rest of the three weeks that she, her child was in the pediatric ICU, uh, she felt that I was carrying something that, you know, I knew something that the, that the team wasn't telling her. It got so bad one time that as I walked out of the unit, uh, I got into the elevator bay and there was about 25 people and I was like, great. Uh, I saw this mom on the other side of the elevator bay and I thought, it's not going to be awkward at all. And, uh, and it turned out we were the only two people going up. And so we had to get on the same elevator. And I knew it was bad because when we got on the elevator, she pushed her button, and then she turned to the elevator wall and gave me her back. And I, I thought, okay, it's a little awkward now. <laughs> she told the, uh, the, the nurse in the ICU that she wanted me to come and to uh, essentially ask for forgiveness. And I, we, we did the, the dance, and... I think about that time because it's kind of funny, kind of weird, kind of awkward. Is that really what forgiveness is about? Perhaps. I think about the father in the ICU whose twins were diagnosed with cancer weeks apart from each other, actually different forms of cancer. And I think about uh, how he asked why, 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 and years later, His answer was, I don't know why, but I have to forgive reality for being what it is. 
we live in a broken world. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty mature kind of faith. Is that what forgiveness is really about? I think that's an interesting question. What is forgiveness really, truly about? Forgiveness is the name of love practiced among people who love poorly. The hard truth is that all people, every one of us here, love poorly. We need to forgive and be forgiven every day, every hour increasingly. That is the great work of love among the fellowship of the weak that is our human family here. Now, there are two sides to forgiveness. There's giving and receiving. We all know that, right? We have read two different scriptures which talk about giving forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. Although at first sight, giving seems to be harder, it often appears that we are not able to offer forgiveness to others, in my mind, because we have not been able to fully receive it. Only as people who have accepted forgiveness can we find the freedom to give it. Now, why is receiving forgiveness so difficult? It is very hard to say. With, with your forgiveness, I am still bound to what happened between us. Only you can set me free. It's hard to say that. That requires not only a confession that we have hurt somebody, but also humility to acknowledge our dependency on others. We can't receive forgiveness without acknowledging just how much we need the other, whomever and whatever that other is. Only when we can receive forgiveness can we give it. I think that's the challenge when we think about forgiveness. We love to think about forgiving others, right? That puts me in a moral superiority place, right? It's easy to forgive others, relatively speaking it's a whole lot harder to be forgiven. But what is there to forgive or ask forgiveness for? As people who have hearts that long for perfect love, we have to forgive one another for not being able to give or receive that perfect love in our everyday lives. Our many needs constantly interfere with our desire to be there for the other unconditionally. Our love is always limited by spoken or unspoken conditions that reflect our own human nature. So then what needs to be forgiven? What are we really truly forgiving? We need to forgive one another for not being God. Just what does it mean to forgive one another for not being God? Forgiveness, as I see it, sees reality as it is and requires us to always bear it to bear with reality for not meeting all of our needs. To accept reality is to forgive it, forgive one another for being what it is almost day by day and sometimes even hour by hour. We forgive it for not meeting our needs. Whether it is my partner, my child, my coworkers, my boss, my work, our church, our culture, It cannot fulfill all of our needs. Put in another way, our forgiveness is not always toward a particular sin or offense. 
Our first forgiveness, it seems to me, is toward reality itself. To forgive it for being so broken. But it actually is a mixture of good and bad. This is what's really hard for me to wrap my mind around. Reality does leave us with good and bad. As that father who had the twins, as he told me, this world is so broken. And yet, what would I do without my two little ones? There is a mixture of good and bad. Forgiveness is a mirror, in fact. It reflects that goodness and brokenness that both exist, regardless of how much they are hidden or masked. It's that paradox that has to be overcome for us to offer forgiveness. Then we allow God to hold that together, to hold the opposites within us, and then it becomes possible for us to do it over there in our neighbor and even our enemy and to see that goodness and brokenness exist there too. Even when we only want to believe that only one part is there. Such a forgiveness practice or understanding creates patient and humble people. But this kind of forgiveness practice, a practice that holds a mirror to the world and recognizes both goodness and brokenness, this kind of forgiveness practice holds a mirror to us too. Honestly, is forgiveness just a transaction? Is it just something that you do to me and I do to you or we do to our enemy? If it's just transactional, that's easy. I have a former friend that I still can't forgive. And if it were just a transaction, that'd be easy. And I'd just move on. But rather, forgiveness must be transformational. You've heard that word a million times. We're all church-going people, right? We've heard transformation all the time. It's all over Scripture. God resists seeing us as solely broken and conquers us with good. And so God asks the same of us. Think about that. God shocks and stuns us into love. But let's explore that just a little bit further. God does not forgive and love us for the purpose of change. Like if we change. He... Uh, the pattern that we're used to seeing in Scripture, or that we, in culture, I should say, is that we sin, we get punished, we repent, and then we transform. We do something different. Right? That's the old way of doing things. But it seems to me that in Scripture, it flips it up. Forgiveness, true sacred forgiveness, changes the pattern and moves to something so much better and beautiful. The pattern becomes... We sin. Unconditional love and forgiveness is given. Transformation happens. And then we repent. Perhaps by asking people to come down the aisle and say, I've sinned before they do anything else may not be what Scripture really entails. Transformation grows through very, very, very small seeds of loving forgiveness that sees goodness that is infinitely given by God. The challenge for us to forgive is actually to hold a mirror up to every single other person we see and say, I see the goodness in you. 
Forgiveness actually reveals three goodnesses simultaneously. When we forgive, we choose the goodness of the other over their faults. Second, we experience God's goodness flowing through ourselves. And we also experience our capacity for goodness in a way that almost surprises us. In those moments of forgiveness, we are finally in touch with a much higher power than ourselves. And we slowly learn how to draw upon that infinite source of the Christ in us. Now, I, I, would, be a, I would be a fool to stand up here and say that I know what forgiveness actually looks like and I do it well. I'd be a fool to expect you to walk out of this place and to say, oh, I get it. Uh, it's supposed to be transformational and we just do this differently now. I'd be a fool to expect any of that. But what I can point to is that transformation happens in the smallest of seeds all around us. The way I want to exemplify that today is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect with my pediatric chaplain nature because that's really what I'm good at. Preaching may not be something I'm good at, but I can definitely be a pediatric chaplain. I don't know if any of you know this book, The Mountain That Loved the Bird. Uh, if not, I think you should go and find it uh, pretty soon. I'm going to read this book to you. I read it to Ryan all the time. And uh, I may, I may uh, get a little choked up during parts of it myself, and that's just fine. To me, when I read this book, it does not explicitly talk about forgiveness. But what it does talk about is transformation and what it takes for us to get there. And then after, I'm going to try and reframe the book a little bit for you. Now, those of you that are out there, you're not going to be able to see the pictures. The, the lucky people who are virtual are going to get to see the pictures. <laughs> the Mountain That Loved a Bird by Alice McLaren. There was once a mountain made of bare stone. It sto stood alone in the middle of a desert plain. No plant grew on its hard slopes, nor could any animal, bird, or insect live there. The sun warmed the mountain and the wind chilled it. But the only touch the mountain knew was the touch of rain or snow. There was nothing more to feel. All day and all night, the mountain looked only at the sky, watching for the movement of the billowing clouds. It knew the path of the sun that crossed over the sky by day and the course of the moon that crossed the sky by night. On clear nights, it watched the slow wheeling of the far-off stars. There was nothing more to see. But then one day, a small bird appeared. She flew in a circle above the mountain, then landed on a ledge to rest and preen her feathers. The mountain felt the dry grasp of her tiny claws on the ledge. It felt the softness of her feathered body as she sheltered herself against its side. The mountain was amazed, for nothing like this had ever come to, the, come to it from the sky before. Who are you? the mountain asked. What is your name? I'm a bird, replied the other. My name is Joy, and I come from distant lands where everything is green. 
Every spring I fly high into the air, looking for the best place to build my nest and raise my children. As soon as I have rested, I must continue my search. I have never seen anything like you before, said the mountain. Must you go on? Couldn't you just stay here? Joyce shook her head. Birds are living things, she explained. We must have food and water. Nothing grows here for me to eat. There are no streams from which I could drink. If you cannot stay here, will you come back again someday? Asked the mountain. Joy thought for a while. I fly long distances, she said, and I have rested on many mountains. No other mountain has ever cared whether I came or went, and I should like to return to you. But I could only do so in the spring before I build my nest. And because you are so far from food and water, I could only stay a few hours. I have never seen anything like you before, repeated the mountain. Even if it were only a few hours, it would make me happy to see you again. There is one more thing you should know, said Joy. Mountains last forever, but birds do not. Even if I were to visit you every spring of my life, there might be only a few visits. Birds do not live very many years. It will be very sad when your visit stops, said the mountain. But it would be even sadder if you fly away now and never return. Joy sat very still, nestled against the side of the mountain. Then she began to sing a gentle bell-like song, the first music the mountain had ever heard. When she had finished her song, she said, Because no mountain has ever before cared whether I came or went, I will make you a promise. Every spring of my life, I will, I will return to greet you and fly above you and sing to you. And since my life will not last forever, I will give to one of my daughters my own name, Joy, and tell her how to find you. And she will name a daughter Joy also and tell her how to find you. Each Joy will have a daughter Joy so that no matter how many years pass, you will always have a friend to greet you and fly above you and sing to you. The mountain was both happy and sad. I still wish you could stay, it said, but I am glad you will return. Now I must go, said Joy, for it is a long way to the lands that have food and water for me. Goodbye until next year. She soared off, her wings like feathered fans against the sun. The mountain watched her until she disappeared into the distance. Year after year, every, when every spring came, a small bird flew to the mountain singing, I am Joy, and I have come to greet you. And for a few hours, the bird would fly above the mountain or nestle against its side, singing. At the end of each visit, the mountain always asked, isn't there some way you could stay? And Joy always answered, no, but I will return next year. Each year, the mountain looked forward more and more to Joy's visit. Each year, it grew harder and harder to watch her go. Ninety-nine springs came and went in this way. On the hundredth spring, when it was time for Joy to leave, the mountain asked once more, Isn't there some way you could stay? Joy answered, as she always did, No, but I will return next year. The mountain watched as she disappeared into the sky, and suddenly its heart broke. The hard stone cracked, and from the deepest part of the mountain, tears gushed forth and rolled down the mountainside in a stream. The next spring, a small bird appeared, singing, I am joy, and I have come to greet you. This time, the mountain did not reply. It only wept 
thinking of how soon she would have to leave and of all the long months before she would come again. Joy rested on her ledge and looked at the stream of tears. Then she flew above the mountain and sang as she always had. When it was time for her to go, the mountain still wept. I will return next year, said Joy softly, and she flew away. When the next spring came, Joy returned, carrying in her beak a small seed. The mountain still wept a stream of tears. Joy carefully tucked the seed into a crack in the hard stone close to the stream so that it would stay moist. Then she flew above the mountain and sang to it. Seeing that the mountain was still unable to speak, she flew away once more. And during the weeks that followed, the seed in the crack of the rock began to send down tiny roots. The roots reached into the hard stone little by little, spreading into yet smaller cracks, breaking through the hardness. As the roots found water in the cracks, <clears throat> as the roots found water in the cracks and drew food from the softening stone, a shoot rose from the seed into the sunlight and unfolded tiny green leaves. The mountain, however, was still deep in sorrow. Blind with tears, it did not notice a plant so small. The next spring, Joy brought another seed, and the spring after that, another. She placed each one in a protected place near the stream of tears and sang to the mountain. The mountain still only wept. Years passed in this way, the roots of new plants softening the stone near the stream of tears. As softened stone turned to soil, moss began to grow in sheltered corners. Grasses and little flowering plants sprouted in the hollows near the stream. Tiny insects carried to the mountain by the winds scurried among the leaves. Meanwhile, the roots of the very first seed went deeper and deeper into the heart of the mountain. Above the ground, what had started as a tiny shoot was growing into the trunk of a young tree. Its branches holding green leaves out to the sun. At last, the mountain felt the roots reaching down like gentle fingers, filling and healing the cracks in its heart. Sorrow faded away, and the mountain began to notice the changes that had been taking place. So varied and wondrous were all of these things, the mountain's tears changed to tears of happiness. Each year joy returned, bringing another seed. Each year more streams ran, laughing down the mountain's sides, and the ground watered by the new streams grew green with trees and other plants. Now that the mountain no longer wept with sorrow, it began to ask once more, isn't there some way you could stay? But Joy still answered, no, but I will return next year. More years passed and the streams carried life far out into the plain surrounding the mountain until finally, as far as the mountain could see, everything was green. From lands beyond the horizon, small animals began to come to the mountain for the first time. Watching these living things find food and shelter on its slopes, the mountain suddenly felt a surge of hope. Opening its deepest heart to the roots of trees, it offered them all its strength. The trees stretched their branches yet higher toward the sky, and hope ran like a song from the heart of the mountain into every tree leaf. And sure enough, when the next spring came, Joy flew to the mountain carrying not a seed, but a slender twig. 
Straight to the tallest tree on the mountain she flew. To the tree that had grown from the very first seed. She placed the twig on the branch in which she would build her nest. I am joy, she sang. And I have come to stay. I hope you love that book as much as I do. Now you might say, what in the world is he reading that book for to talk about forgiveness? I can't describe forgiveness in purer words than that book just did. Because when we truly are forgiving people, when we truly are giving and receiving forgiveness... Seeds grow, and mountains change. But let me flip the script a little more for you. Because in this story, I want to believe that I am the bird bringing the seed to the mountain and changing the mountain's heart. But church, if we are going to be forgiving people, we have to change who we are in the story. And I am not always the victor or the right person in the story. In this case, we as a church may be the mountain who's been dry for many years and needs someone to come along and to give us forgiveness to bring that little softness to us. Maybe we need to be the people who welcome the little seeds from the people who need to offer us forgiveness. Maybe we need to be the people who are seeking to be forgiven and not the people who are solely seeking to forgive. I want us to be the mountain that loved a bird, but I also want us to be birds that love the mountains and vice versa, right? All the time. I want us to be people that are treating forgiveness not like a transaction. Just because I have said sorry to Liz, or to Ryan, or to my friend, doesn't make forgiveness happen. Forgiveness happens when I become the mountain that has changed. In Scripture, when we are told to forgive, whether it is Psalm 51, or 2 Corinthians 2, would it ask us to forgive the sinner and to show love to the sinner in the church? It is not solely a transaction. I beg you, Paul says, to reaffirm your love after he's told them to forgive. Go do it. Go be forgiving and then grow up and love people deeply and let them forgive you. That is the message I want you to hear as we approach the table today. Forgiveness is good and it is beautiful. Find yourself in the story and see what you need. See what God is calling for you. Whether you are the forgiver or the forgiven. Come to the table and find it. Find it first from a God who offers it and sees the goodness in you. And then go hold up the mirror to someone else. 
as we approach the table today, be the people of forgiveness. Be the people that are forgiven. And that starts with the bread and the wine that we treasure so much.